Number 302, Brother Trey will ask that we mark that and we'll use that at the appropriate time later in the service this morning. What a great blessing it is to be able to assemble and to gather on this occasion with those indeed of like precious faith, as Brother Gary noted a little bit earlier. It is truly a marvelous thing to give hearts and souls in complete tuning to the frequency of God and to gather like this to be encouraged, exhorted, and edified in the most holy faith. We are taught in Hebrews 10, 25 to not forsake the assembly and certainly in the midst of this number today are those who've chosen not to forsake but to be present and to exhort and encourage one another and admonish each other on the way toward everlasting glory. As we begin our particular matter of our service today in terms of the sermon, you may notice that Luke 21 verse 19 is the particular text that Brother Greg read just a moment ago. As we make preparation for that, perhaps one additional announcement uh, that might be added to those that were mentioned earlier. There might be many unaware of the good deed that our uh, young adult class performed yesterday, and certainly I think it would be very fine that we make note of that. Led by the, those that led that class, a couple of the students, so was Jonathan and Adam and Cale, along with Brooklyn and Elizabeth were able to go yesterday and make assistance at the Happy Haven home to some work they needed to be do, to do outside, whether it be with leaves and sticks, assisting them in a good work, lifting high the banner of what was good and right. Certainly, we as a congregation appreciate their devotion and their investment of that Saturday morning and the good deed they did for the glory and cause of God. The elders appreciate that, and certainly as all the membership, we do as well for the good kind of example they've said and the goodness that they have shown to so many others in the world about us. This morning, as we give thought to that text from Luke 21, as you can see, one of the words found in that verse is the word patience. I would ask that for the next few moments this morning that we proceed to think just a few moments about the issues that relate to the subject of patience. Here are some introductory thoughts. That word occurs some 49 times in one form or another in the King James Bible. And that is scattered in the Old and New Testament alike. And in that appreciation of the word patience, we immediately find so many very challenging and lovely verses. Perhaps many of our favorites are found to contain this word in one form or another. In James 5 verse number 11, there's that well-known reference to the patience of Job. In 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 14, we each are commanded that we must deal patiently with one another, in fact, with all men. In Psalm 37 verse 7, in the days of the ancient old, that noble man David on that occasion wrote, Rest with the Lord and bear patiently with Him. We're admonished, you see, even in terms of our service to God, to in fact do so with an attribute and an element of patience. For the remainder of our lesson this morning, might I invite us to ask, what is patience? How is it developed? In what way can you and I perhaps learn much from the biblical usages of it? And in what way really is it the matter set forth in this verse? In your patience possess you your souls. As we think about all of that, let's begin with the definition. It does seem that it would be well for us to know the thing of which we speak. By definition, when one looks at that original word that appears in these particular passages, that word patience comes from a word that means constancy. It means steadfastness. It means endurance. It has within it a quality of not giving up and not fainting and not falling to the side. 
this issue of patience, as you can well tell, is found in so many well-known texts and in so many rather familiar passages. I've listed just a few of them for your consideration. In 2 Peter 1, beginning in verse number 5, there's that well-known list of the Christian graces. Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience. There is mention then of this attribute, this trait, that you and I are commanded to add to our lives. Patience. And as we've seen, it means endurance, perseverance, and constancy. You can also notice in that text in Romans 15, 4, that even Old Testament verses and Old Testament examples can help us to even be better in terms of our exhibition of patience. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. One of the things then that you and I are able to appreciate is a decidedly powerful attribute of patience as it is seen in the Word of God, both Old and New Testament alike. You'll notice that so many verses might have been listed at this point to challenge us in terms of patience. I have listed a few. As Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, closing verse to that chapter, he said, "...be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord." We immediately notice that the Corinthians found themselves admonished to be unmovable, to be steadfast, to be continuing, to in fact prompt forward and onward in that work of devotion to the things of God. So many influences in the city of Corinth would try to divert them, would try to confuse them, would try to lead them astray from the truth of God, but Paul warned them, be steadfast and do not be moved from the nature of that gospel of Jesus Christ. Beyond that text in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, there's that well-known letter in Revelation 2 to the church at Smyrna in which he said, Be thou faithful until death, and I will give thee a crown of life. The word patience has not appeared directly in either one of those verses, but hasn't the thought of steadfastness been apparent? Hasn't the thought of constancy and unwavering devotion to the Lord been a critical part of what they have set forth? In 2 Peter 3.17, the word steadfastness is precisely mentioned. And Peter gave a very strong warning, Be not moved away from your steadfastness. The warnings through Scripture are so very many, and all the while the thought of patience has been a very appropriate and important part of it. It's easy to see at this point that given that definition of patience... We are seeing the description of a person who is dedicated and devoted to the things of God and who will not be moved aside from it even in the face of trials, even in the face of hardships, even in the face of afflictions and oppressions. This person is rooted and grounded in the deepness of the things of God. A description of an individual like that does remind us so often about the hardships and the oppositions that do come our way. I know that I stand before an audience and many of you have your own personal stories to tell about particular hardships, maybe dealing with health, perhaps dealing with family crisis, maybe dealing with upsets on the job force, 
perhaps dealing with difficulties in your family, be it parents, children, or otherwise. These matters are a part of the lot which you and I are called upon to face, but yet in the face of them, patience must be the guide of the day. Look with me, if you would, at these last verses. Let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Galatians 6 verse 9. There is the statement there, if we faint not. Is it possible to faint? Is it possible to buckle beneath the pressures and lose our patience? Certainly it's so. No doubt you and I have seen many for whom that has exactly taken place. Perhaps one final thought would be that text in Hebrews 6.11. In the midst of a circumstance in which individuals were turning aside from Christ and turning back to what they thought was easier and what they thought was less demanding of them, the inspired writer wrote to them and warned them not to make that fatal mistake, but to be steadfast, to be ongoing, to be consistent and constant. Must not the same matters be written for us today? And perhaps the topping on that thought would have to be Hebrews 12 beginning in verse 1. The context of that is one that we shall revisit a bit later in the lesson too, but it seems so appropriate even now. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Did you note what the inspired writer pointed out to us? After just making a listing in chapter number 11 of some notable honor roll of faith members, those like Abel and Enoch, those like Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Jacob and Moses and several others, he now turns the attention to you and me and says, Wherefore, since we are compassed about with so great a crowd of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and then do what? Run with patience. You and I are admonished then to run this Christian life and do so with patience, with this powerful realization of constancy and steadfastness. There are times that things get to be very discouraging. There are times that things can look bleak and dark. We must maintain our patience. When we so far have thought about patience, the definition has been our focus to this point. But that only whets our appetite for what's to come next. Besides the thought of patience and what it actually is by definition, here are some things that it involves. To speak about patience in general is one thing. To get down to the realization of what about my patience tomorrow? And what about your patience on Thursday of this week? What does the Bible help us appreciate about those matters? It'll help us as we understand what are some things that patience involves. We might well begin that in the following way. Patience in the final analysis is a decision. It's not something acquired with a magic wand. It's not something to be obtained by some particular metallic happenstance. It is a decision that you and I make to remain persistent and faithful and constant or not. 
once we realize it is that matter of decision, it really casts the focus a little bit better. Patience, you see, is not just something that's a whim and a fancy that we either have it or we don't. The Bible commands us to work toward achieving it. And toward that end, we each are called upon to work. Given that it is a decision that we make, notice again the commandment of 2 Peter 1. Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience. The Holy Scriptures contain within it a command of God for you and for me. This needs to be added. Patience must be added. It isn't left as an optional matter, is it? And it isn't left as a matter to either be taken or removed. The Word of God commands we add this. In the same way we add knowledge, we must add patience. In the same way we add self-control, we add patience. In the same way we add moral excellence, we add patience. Patience is then a very needful thing, isn't it? It is a very strong component in the safeguard against what Satan can and will throw in our direction. Once we appreciate the thought of what that is, notice the conviction that comes with it. Patience, you see, as a command that you and I are to add, comes with it this thought, it is a convicted thing. Luke 8.15 describes for us one of those soils in which the seed had been sown. And this particular soil, you might recall, was one that was good ground. And with patience they brought forth much. Some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold, some a hundredfold. Notice that it was with patience that they brought forth much. I suppose it would be good for you and me, even as faithful Christians, to ask, is my patience a developing matter? Is it higher, stronger, more mature now than it has been in days gone by? Is my patience finally tuned in such a way now that I can look back and appreciate the sadness of my impatience years ago? Patience, you see, is something that as we continue to add it in maturity, the conviction along with it prompts us to note the courage with which it will allow us to stand. In Ephesians, the sixth chapter, there is a somewhat lengthy list of matters, armaments which you and I are to add to our lives. We notice that that list began in verse 10 with, and having done all, wherewith we may stand. It's going to take patience, a degree of steadfastness, for that's the whole thrust of the armament, so that we can withstand even in the evil day. The degree of that patience is perhaps only highlighted by those that come next. These parts of the matter of patience can for some be the most challenging. For you see, because patience is something that is a decision on our part, it involves a trustworthiness in the nature of the God who has commanded it. And yet we read in passages like Psalm 27, 14, to wait upon the Lord. And we read passages like Isaiah 40, verse 31, that it is only those who wait upon Him properly that they shall mount up and run then properly. Might we then think of it this way, are you and I willing to wait on Him in the way that He's commanded? To never run ahead of Him? To in fact presumptuously do what we ought not because we're ahead of what He has prescribed? I would invite you at this point to be sure and be back with us this evening when we will find that Saul made that very mistake. Not once, but twice. 
And as He did that, doesn't He set for us a timeless example of never running ahead of what God is, what His love and perfection have set forth, but to ever understand that we need to wait on Him and let Him, of course, lead in terms of His Word and that we would follow with devotion and follow with dedication. You can see near the bottom of that what examples that Paul sets before us of one who is patient. We read, it seems, in the early part of the book of Acts that Paul was a man who was very headstrong, very much a person who was a go-getter, if you please. He actually had in his possession letters that allowed him to imprison and make life very difficult for Christians in Acts the ninth chapter. However, we readily find in 1 Corinthians 9, once he became a Christian, he buffeted even his body, lest he should become a castaway. Do we read of a man here who had a desire and patience thus to live properly and rightly? And yet, think about 2 Corinthians 11 and the perils, the shipwrecks, the beatings, the difficulties, the stonings that he endured. Was this a man who, despite all of that, was nonetheless patient? Did he continue to the end? Did he ever give up? We find that Paul was one who was a marvelous example of that attribute of patience. It is into this context I would invite you to look with me at the lesson text that was read a bit earlier. In Luke 21, verse 19, it's a very brief verse. It simply says, "...in your patience possess you your souls." Jesus made that statement. What did He mean? The context on that occasion was this. The Lord was describing the coming destruction of Jerusalem. There was to be a time not too many years into the future when He described the greatness of the overthrow that would come toward the city of Jerusalem's way. However, He gave some signs whereby they could be aware of the oncoming nature of that. And it's in that very context He said, "...in your patience..." They were to look patiently for the signs. They were to look with endurance. They were to look with constancy and perseverance, not forgetting that there may be some years that would pass. In many ways, isn't that an interesting parallel for the nature of your life and mine? We don't know how many years we will be here upon this earth. There may be many years. There may be few. The Lord may come back furthermore at any moment and at any time. But whatever may be the lot of the duration of our interval here, it must be lived with constancy and lived with determination and patience. Jesus admonished those on that occasion to watch carefully for those signs. Now we know there will be no signs for the end of the world. He said that in Matthew 24. But we are reminded time and again that we must with patience live what time we do have here. Notice furthermore in light of what's at the bottom... It was in that patience that their souls would be delivered and they would enjoy the salvation from the Roman onslaught. Many of them learned the lesson on that occasion and they did flee properly. May you and I also flee to our city of refuge, the nature of the living arms of Jesus Christ our Lord, and live there patiently. As we've looked at patience by definition and also what it involves, we would perhaps be remiss not to make note of the tremendous value that this patience has. This particular point will not have many things in it that perhaps are shockingly new. 
but don't they have any things we each need to hear? Things the Word of God has challenged us with perhaps on a daily basis. Look at the value to be seen. As you give thought to the nature of this concern of patience, as you can see, first of all, the Christian race is one that we noted in Hebrews 12, is to be run with patience. Let's add a little bit more discussion to that idea. The Hebrew writer had just made note of a whole host of worthies back in chapter 11. As he listed them, you and I no doubt often can reflect upon what they did and the courage that it took. In the days of Noah, we see a man who took the liberty to build a gigantic boat when no doubt he faced a ridicule extensive from those round about. But yet he's called a preacher of righteousness because he persisted and finished that ark. He didn't stop when it became a matter of despair. He didn't turn his attention to some other potential solution. He simply did what God said to do. Or think about Enoch who walked with God. Genesis 5.24 still describes that one that God took. He was translated because he simply walked with God. Should you and I not also desire to walk with Him in such a way that we appreciate that we can walk hand in hand with Him through this life and then forevermore also with Him? Patience will be required to do that. As you can see, many other thoughts remind us from that same verse of this. Just as surely as every one of those in Hebrews 11 had obstacles that they overcame, is that not going to be true of you and me? There will sometimes be extensive ones. It may in fact almost become overwhelming at times, but we can rest assured of this. Nothing will come our way that will, by its very nature, guarantee us falling away from our steadfastness and our patience. Because the Bible warns us that we can remain patient and we can remain steadfast and true. So we know Satan will never be allowed to bring anything so great and so overwhelming that we must, by its very existence, fall away from God. I'd invite you to notice the last few verses of the 8th chapter of Romans. After stating verse number 31, If God be for us, who can be against us? Verse 35 begins one of the highlight thoughts when we give appreciation to the victory and the triumph that's to be had in Christ Jesus. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And to that we can say a great amen. Understanding that there's nothing, either in this life or the one after, that can separate the faithful one from the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who loved him. As long as that person has lived faithfully, dedicated with patience and devotion to the commandments that God has revealed. That should be a solace of remarkable comfort to you and me. As Paul wrote that statement to the Roman brethren, 
He, of course, highlighted in that book as well as others about that great enemy who is working against us. There is, of course, one who wants to try your patience. There is one who wants you to lose your patience. And the same is true for me. This old devil, you see, he doesn't want you to be patient. He wants you to be as impatient as possible. He wants you to be one who lacks perseverance and lacks steadfastness and one who lacks dedication and devotion. You see, he wants you to stumble and to become unfaithful. And he can accomplish that in a whole variety of attempted ways. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and sorry, chapter 2, as well as in chapter 11 of the Corinthian letters, we notice some statements that he is even able to masquerade himself as an angel of light. No matter though, it's still the case that to those that are the faithful children of God and those who wish to be patient, the Word of God has so much to help us on a daily practical basis. I thought that would be a good way for us to close our lesson this day by looking at a last section in which we ask in a very practical way, how do I become more patient? What way can I, as simply a mortal person, be more patient tomorrow? Some things that can assist us in that might then be these. We have built a foundation on which we can point to the reality of how to acquire this patience. Here are some thoughts the Word of God shares with us along this line. The first thing that you and I might keep in mind certainly would be this. It's that note we made earlier that patience is a decision on your part and mine. It's not as if we need to appreciate it magically comes from somewhere else. That it is some means whereby it's this rather ethereal thing that's hard to appreciate. Patience is ultimately a final decision that you and I make. But with a desire to make that right decision, be aware of the following things. We are taught in this world that preparation is so often a very useful and powerful guide. It certainly, by the teaching of the Word of God, is the same here. We need to understand the fact that there are going to be trials. If we live life ready that those are going to exist, we will be all the more prepared to face them properly. If we live in such a way that we don't think they're ever going to come, then when they do come, we will be all the more shocked and all the more surprised and all the more ready to be defeated. Maybe you've spoken to individuals who, after their baptism, and they became members of the body of Christ, six months later, they're in tears and in despair. I thought my problems would leave me when I became a Christian. I thought God promised to take care of all of these. And then they don't understand when there are still difficulties and problems, sometimes very sore ones indeed. Difficulties in the home may well be our lot. Things that transpire by virtue of health, for example, may make things very difficult. There could be choices and decisions that those close to us make. And many a sleepless night is shed in tears because of the decisions they have made. Ultimately, we understand that when those come, we mustn't lose our patience. I didn't say it would be easy, and God didn't either. But He did say it was possible. And He did say that steadfastness is a reality for those who wish for heaven to be their home. Patience 
that degree of steadfastness may come along with many things, as you can see on that list. I've even included the church. You see, it's possible that the church will face its troubles, isn't it? Individuals make, again, foolish choices and decisions, and that reflects badly upon the church. And the elders have to make sometimes very unpleasant and uncomfortable decisions. And we as members also, in the trials of those matters also, are greatly impacted by them. May we say, we still must in patience persevere. You'll notice on the very next statement, Jesus hinted at the very reality of all of these in that list we call the Beatitudes, didn't He? The last two of them read as follows. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then the last one. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Let us reflect and ponder for just a moment upon that latter one especially. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you. Do you and I take it kindly when others insult us, slander us, libel us, speak evil of us, blaspheme us, ridicule us? Certainly it isn't a pleasant circumstance, and we don't like it a bit. But the Lord there said that when they do that, despite the fact we live righteously, despite the fact that our life is a testimony to sanctification and the grace found in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, He said that there is an attribute in which there's a blessedness in this that we are able to teach them and set forth even under the duration of trial what it means to be a steadfast servant of the God of heaven. In 1 Peter 2.20, Peter even on that occasion said that if when you are buffeted for your faults, what glory is it? After all, when you have made mistakes and people question you and challenge you, then you deserve what you got. But he said, if you are buffeted when you've done well, then that's what brings glory to God. That can be so challenging, can't it? When you and I have lived to the best we're able to, and still there are those that call us names, and still there are those that belittle us, and still there are those that try their hardest to make our life the highest echelon of misery, if in those cases we can still take it well, exemplify the characteristic of righteousness and patience, then God says He accepts that. And He makes a note in the annals of heaven of what we have accomplished, not by the fact we've done it ourselves, but because we've relied upon Him. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12 that when I am weak, then am I strong. Paul didn't want to rely on what merits or goodnesses he may have had, but he knew that only in God was his ultimate strength to be found. As you can see near the bottom of that slide, Several examples of faithful throughout the centuries who, of course, endured many things that can serve as great examples to us as to how they dealt with them. Abraham was told to sacrifice his son of promise in Genesis 22, and he was on the verge of doing it. What a trial to his faith that must have been. You can consider Daniel as he approached the lion's den in Daniel chapter 6. He was thrown into it, and there he resided all because he was a righteous man and would not question or compromise the things that God had commanded of him. The three Hebrew children, three chapters earlier, in a fiery furnace, they found themselves. 
Why? Because they had the nerve and the patience to not succumb to what Nebuchadnezzar and the others were trying to demand of them to do. Today, when there's someone who slanders you or me and tries to hurt us, it certainly is not a pleasant thing. But can we perhaps set before them the notion of how Christianity ought to be? Perhaps the greatest example of all is Jesus. What wrong did He ever do? What sin did He ever commit? What thing did He ever do to purposely harm or injure anybody? And yet they nailed Him to a cross. They scourged Him. They beat Him. They insulted Him. Almost anything imaginable that you and I could think of that would be hurtful, they did to Him, and yet He was perfect. If you and I are His servants, should we expect any less treatment than you and I too shall face things that are unpleasant? Satan's going to make sure it happens. It will be a trial and a test of your faith and mine, and then we must be patient, understanding that we mustn't lose our steadfastness. As you can see near the bottom of that slide, all those things perhaps point us to here. These final thoughts in the lesson will be yours this morning. Not only in James, but also in Romans, we find some passages that really touch the very subject we have been discussing of late. In that book of James, it in fact, verse 2 of chapter 1 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. There's that word patience again. You and I often don't find trials very much fun. We don't find them enjoyable. We don't find them pleasant because they simply are not. But we're guaranteed that with reliance upon the Master, trustworthiness in His Word, and a determination to be steadfast, that that trial can lead to increased endurance, patience. In the Roman letter, Romans 5, beginning in verse 1, we find there the description also listed in which those trials, those difficulties lead to other things which ultimately bring us hope. I would invite us as we come near the close of that lesson this morning to think one more time that the patience of Job is highlighted for us in James 5 verse 11. What about your patience at this moment in mine? Can you say that your determination to live faithful and right is truly grounded in what it ought to be? Or can you imagine tomorrow that some trial, some affliction, some difficulty may come and as a consequence of it, you will slide aside from your faithfulness? If you can imagine that tomorrow, come before and ask us for some prayers today so that your intensity, your patience can grow and mature even in the passing moments from now to then. Patience is something that we're commanded to add. Are you adding it? Is it a part of the makeup of who you are so that you can be a stronger, more dedicated and faithful servant to the Master? In your patience possess you your souls, Luke 21, 19. The plan of salvation is an opportunity for an individual who has never become a member of the body of Christ to allow that to take place. And it involves several steps on your part. 
Hear what God has said and believe Him to be the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Confess His matchless name as a Son of God and then permit yourself to be immersed in water, baptized for the forgiveness of sins. If we could be a, a helpfulness to you in that way today, what a great delight it would be for us, but what an eternal change it would make for you. If you have become a member of the body of Christ, but over the months and over the years your patience has just slipped, maybe it hasn't grown, it's actually waned, why not come back to your first love? It may be that that day you were baptized, you had a great deal of patience and steadfastness and a mindset that you were going to be saved. But as the trials of life have come, you've slipped and you've fallen and your patience right now is just not as it ought to be. Come back to your first love today. We'll pray with you and for you. And in so doing, we'll beseech God to grant you strength and forgiveness for those things prior in life. If we could help you today, Brother Trail has chosen him of encouragement. And we would invite you to come if you would now while together we stand and while we sing.